So today I want to do something a little different. I want to um, take, take you through a little bit of our storyline, which will explain a lot of what God has been speaking to us uh, here through the Appalachia Prayer Center for uh, the last really three and a half years. Um, on the front end of this, I want to just acknowledge the fact that I will have to balance uh, details with time. So, well, at times I will, will maybe want to fill in the blanks and share a little more detail. I will be very um, conscious of the time frame we have here and get to the, the more important points of the story. If God has ever taken you on a, project, a prophetic journey before, then you know the tensions that you have when you're trying to tell others of this because there are layers and layers and layers. But honestly, um, my story could begin much earlier than this, but I'm going to pick up uh, my story in November of 2016. I was a pastor of a church. I had been in, uh, at that time, I had been in public pulpit ministry for 27 years. I was 17 years in the pastor of the church. We'd built a strong church uh, using a couple of different approaches. And we were several years into a strong discipleship emphasis and shift in our church. And we knew God's hand was all over all over that. But God, uh, on this day, is the first weekend of November of 2016, I was traveling home from the airport. I'd been in a, in a seminary class. I just flew home. And... Uh, God began to speak to me on the trip home, and He began to tell me to pre prepare myself and to prepare our church for revival. Now, you, you have to understand that my reaction to that uh, was one of initial rejection. And in a moment, I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit more about what I mean about revival. But um, when God first spoke to me about that, I just kind of rejected the, the, the notion of revival. Now, I wasn't God wasn't telling me to get our church ready for, um, you know, three to five or, or weeks worth of guest preachers and singing. No, he was telling me to prepare for what we know as this sovereign, supernatural move of God that works in a church or a community or a geographical region and where God reveals his glory and power and people return to God, uh, uh, um, uh, people um, are healed, saved, delivered. God is doing something that is beyond the scope of human effort even. And um, Duncan Campbell, who was part of the Hebrides Revival, would say that a revival is, is different from just evangelism efforts because in evangelism you'll see one, ten, or a hundred people be saved. But, but it went in revival is when God saturates uh, a community. And that wherever people are in that community, they are experiencing the presence of God. Now, I knew when God told me to, for us to prepare for revival that it was something bigger than just a handful of services. I, I didn't fully understand revival as I do now, where this sat, you know, God is saturating the community. But nevertheless, I, I just rejected when God asked me to contend for revival. I wasn't trying to be rebellious, but the truth of the matter is I had a an opinion that people who just prayed about, talked about revival, maybe just didn't want to do the hard work of one-on-one -on -one discipleship. They were looking for a shortcut. And, and so the Lord had to take me on a journey to educate me about revival. And that uh, without revival, I can see no man come to God. I, I, without the work of the Holy Spirit in, a, in my community, 
I, I can build a house, but I'm just building in vain, right? And, 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 and this was a frustration that I had felt often in, in the pastoring is that while I knew good things were happening and, and people were saved and some life change was happening, I yearned to see God move in a, in a bigger way, uh, a more deep way, if, if that makes sense. Now, I, I, when God spoke to me about revival, um, like I said, my first reaction was, well, you know, I'm just not looking for a shortcut. My second reaction, while I rejected, was I had had thoughts and hints of revival a couple of other times in my church's history, and, and, and it hadn't happened. And honestly, I just didn't want to be disappointed. And so there was this, this, this tension between me and the Lord, and, and uh, over the next few days, I mean, this idea of revival seized me. Like, I wasn't looking for it in that moment. It seized me. It would not let me go. And I knew I had to take my church into a time of preparation to understand. And in, in another video, um, I, I want to talk to you about that uh, process of preparation and and how that even comparing the life of Jesus and how God worked through the life of Jesus, um, which is kind of odd, but superimposed on Ezekiel's river can give us a little bit of a blueprint on how to prepare for a move of God. Now, you can't make God, my good friend Doug Abner says, and you, 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 you know, we can't make God do things, uh, but we can certainly do some things to attract him. And, and, and I firmly believe that now. So while God told us to prepare for revival, and I was reluctant at first, I jumped in. I jumped in wholeheartedly. And we began to prepare our church. We prayed. We fasted because I, I began to understand that every major move of God was predicated by intense times of prayer and, and humbling of the church. I understood 2 Chronicles 7.14 that if we wanted God to move, and in our land, we needed to humble ourselves and pray and, and turn toward him. And, and we began to take our church through, through several different things because if you are expecting something, it's like if you're expecting a baby, you need to get ready for that baby. You need to fix the nursery. You need to change things about yourself. And we, you know, we went, went through this process. And, 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 and sure enough, um, on Palm Sunday of 2017, a few months after the Lord visited me concerning this, vision, uh, I, I had a personal encounter with the Lord uh, that that just, just left me completely altered. It's very hard for me to talk about this, and I'm going to go into a lot of detail in this video concerning it, but it completely changed everything about me, this encounter I had with the Lord. And the next couple of days, He began to show me many things, which I have now, much of that, I've watched it come to come come to pass over the last three years and there's more to come but he showed me many things during this season um, between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday 2017 and on Easter Sunday it, it, it just crashed into our church our church our, our worship team was rehearsing for Easter and and I remember uh, it's about 30 minutes before Easter service started I just told the guys revival excuse me service is starting now you keep worshiping. We're going to just open the doors, and as people come in, we're just going to worship Jesus. And we did. I mean, and people, of course, you know, you're kind of coming in for Easter, and there's just, as as the time went, uh, a crowd in the front grew, um, and we just passionately poured out love to Jesus for, for, for a long time. 
I gave a small talk and um, dismissed uh, most people, uh, you know, around noon, and had uh, some uh, groups of people who uh, were were going to be going out into the streets that week um, uh, to to pray for people. They hung out, and I, I don't know, with their kids, there's about seventy people, and then just a spirit of joy swept through. And we just celebrated and, and, and danced in the river of the Lord. Now, now maybe your, your denominational persuasion or whatever, but, but, but in that moment, we just didn't care about denominational persuasions or piety. We could just feel the presence of God. And sure enough, wow, over the next 50 days from, from Easter to Pentecost, the Lord showed himself to us in mighty ways. I wish I had time to even just give you some of those those uh, stories, but that's maybe for another time. Maybe I will do that. Maybe I'll just devote an episode and bring a a couple of people on who can um, uh, interview them and just tell some of the crazy ways that God moved during that time of of revival. I experienced the Lord in ways I had not experienced Him up to that point or quite since. Uh, What was happening is, as we were having revival services in our building on Saturday night, Sunday morning, Monday night, Tuesday night, and then we were sending teams out into the the streets on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But see, the teams would meet first and pray and ask the Lord what He wanted them to do. And sure enough, the Lord would reveal things and, and they would go and the, the people that He showed would be there was there. And, you know, we, we would have them write it down or record it before they went out. So then when they went out and it was all true, we could celebrate the goodness of God. We saw uh, miracles happen during this time. We, we just saw so many things. And probably more than anything, we learned how to listen to God and hear his voice and respond. And he took us on incredible faith journeys during this time. Um, this this time ended on Pentecost Sunday. And to tell you the truth, what followed that was was a, uh, was a, dif- a difficult time for me personally, um, uh, for our church community. I, I felt like it was like on the day of Pentecost when it said that many were amazed, but many were perplexed, and that we were in a season of amazement and perplexion. And 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 so in the middle of that, because what I knew for sure is I had experienced God in ways I'd never before. Did I understand it all? No. Was I even comfortable with all of it? No. But could I deny that God was moving? I, I could not deny that God was moving. And I was hungry, I was hungry for more. Uh, and the, the Lord showed me that, um, it was like the spies going into the promised land and sampling the promised land, and they knew it was good. And like Joshua and Caleb coming back to the people, and, and a lot of the people wasn't certain, but Joshua and Caleb was hungry for that. And many of us were like that. And um, I, I just want to point out one of the big lessons that Jesus taught me during that revival is that a true revival has to be about Him. It's a, it's a return of the focus and, su- and supremacy of Christ in His church. It's not about the exaltation of, of, of anyone else but Christ. So when we were having these revival services, we wouldn't even announce we'd be preaching or speaking. And sometimes our buildings would be full. Sometimes there would be a small handful of us. But God would move in, in incredible ways every every time. And, and, and since that time, if you've heard me speak, I talk a lot about the, the exaltation of Jesus uh, um, in, in his church where the bride of Christ must return to the fire and fervency of her first love. See, often we, we equate revival as a lot of people getting saved. And I would tell you that that is the fruit of revival. 
the true revival, the word revive means to, to bring back to life or consciousness. I mean, you have to first be alive to be brought back to life. And so I, I, my personal feeling is, and I don't want to mince words, but my personal feeling is, is that a, the, the church, the body of Christ experiences revival. And then the fruit of her passion for Jesus is a mighty harvest that we normally call revival. Does this make sense? So through all of this, Jesus began just to tell me that the church must return back to the fire and love. So we ended this revival with, with canceling our normal revival services, and he told us to go into 10 days of tarrying and prayer. And we didn't even know what we were doing then. We didn't know how to then. But but honestly, uh, we would start it up around 6 o'clock in the evening, and we would just stay open till midnight. And, and people would come and go, and sometimes there'd be 40 or 50 people there praying, sometimes one or two of us. Sometimes some of us would show up at two or three in the afternoon and wouldn't leave till two or three in the morning. But through these final 10 days of this revival, he began to birth a yearning for prayer in our hearts. Uh, during those days of tarrying, just, and, and later on I learned just the real definition of the word tarry, it means to settle down. Uh, that doesn't mean sleepy church. That just means learn, to learn how to relax in the presence of God and wait on Him. And so anyway, this revival, this season of revival ended for us, and that summer was very perplexing for me. I was wondering, I'd been in this community for many, many years. I was wondering, is this the last thing that God wanted me to do here? Or do I have a different ministry assignment? Does He want me in ministry at all? Um, in public, I mean, I'll always be in ministry because I'm a believer and all believers are called to ministry, but does he want me in, in, in ministry leadership? Does he want me in public pulpit ministry? And and for the first time, I was having some real serious conversations with the Lord about what's next in my life. I couldn't deny what he we experienced, but also couldn't deny just the confusing state I was in. And in the middle of all that, I firmly believe that the Lord told me um, to, uh, to create a place of prayer and to it began to intercede for the Appalachia region. And at that time, my scope of the Appalachia region probably included three or four states. And that's always been dear to my heart because I ministered in, in Southern West Virginia and our history as a people is very dear to me. I don't have time to get into that uh, t today. Maybe I will sometime. Uh, but today I can't get into all of that, but our history as a people and how God has moved and worked and, I, and this has been very dear to me. So it wasn't necessarily a foreign thing for the Lord to begin to ask me to intercede for these, these, these states. But I wasn't even certain what the Lord wanted at that time. The only thing I knew is that summer I would spend as much time as possible with the Lord in, in our church building uh, and, and alone in other places. Uh, I, I would pray hours and hours and hours. And, and while I wasn't sure what I should do, I knew I would not make a decision without Him leading me into that decision. And through that time, he began to show me uh, that he wanted me to create a place of prayer. Now, when I and, I and I finally said yes to this. And when I said yes to this, I, I didn't know what I was saying yes to. I didn't know that if, if, if outward ministry expression would end for us, and maybe the Lord just wanted to draw a group inward just to intercede and pray for years, and maybe we wouldn't even experience the results of it, but we would know our prayers was fueling it. I was okay with any of that. Uh, but you have to understand that was a tough, tough one for me as a pastor because we had been an extremely outwardly focused, evangelistically driven church for my entire ministry. We, we had seen 
Even as a church, we had seen hundreds and hundreds come to faith in the Lord and baptized, and we had grew this this um, um, pretty sizable congregation uh, twice in our community and and um, built um, a, a nice building and just to be used to, to serve our community. So when when I when I said yes to the Lord for all this, I. I felt like I was turning away from everything I'd known about ministry for 30 years. And and then he just kept me in a quiet, secret place for months, for, for months. Now, as we said yes to this, uh, there, there was a prophetic word being given to me during this, this time of revival that we were in that really highlighted um, August 27th. There was 100 days from when that prophetic word was given that I was to, the, the summary of that word was, uh, I needed to to um, be careful. Um, this is what I took from the word. I needed to be careful and to wait for 100 days. I didn't know all this season of confusion and perplexion would be right in front of me. But through all of that, I just knew I, I would not make a decision until the 100 days were up. As the summer ticked through, and we we were counting these hundred days off, it became more and more clear that I had to launch this, this prayer center ministry. And sure enough, on August 27th, we launched the, the prayer center ministry we call Appalachian Prayer Center. And that morning was special. The Lord just blessed that. Uh, that whole weekend was very special as I knew I had to let some things go and bury it. Um, from the past and then just embrace a new book that the Lord was laying in front of me and and, in our team. And so uh, that afternoon, and I'm going to go quickly through some of the story here, but that afternoon after this service, I didn't have a next step. Um, We were going to build some prayer rooms in our our sanctuary, and maybe at that time it already started, or we started maybe the next week, some focused prayer rooms. Um, to to God prayer. That's all I knew to do. But when we launched this on August 27th, by the way, a little side note, the week before August 27th, uh, we realized that this was the date that the Moravians launched a 100-year prayer movement back in the 1700s. Wow. And uh, day and night, they had someone praying 24 hours a day for 100 years. And do some research on the history of the Moravian Church and see how God used them as mighty missionaries all over. They experienced the power of the Lord. It was through their ministry that John Wesley, the great revivalist, was influenced. And he had a, a fresh encounter with the Lord that then turned him into what we know as Wesley. And and I'd always been interested in the Moravians. And, and I just that a couple weeks before the August 27th, I found out that they had a hundred-year prayer meeting. I said, like, I know that's what fueled their evangelism efforts. I mean, these guys were selling themselves as slaves to go to other parts of the world to preach the gospel, radical moves of evangelism. But then to come to find out that they launched this this 24-hour prayer movement on August 27th. Uh, This made the day more special to me. We, uh, at the end of that, uh, I remember I sat at the table uh, eating with my family and the Lord spoke to me and said, Jay, I want you to have a unity prayer service. And I told the Lord that I couldn't have a unity prayer service because no one would come. I wasn't part of the nomination. I mainly focused in in my local community. Uh, But the Lord told me to to do this. And so 
I, I reached out to an intercessor that I know and we talked about it. We decided on September 23rd, we launched our first unity prayer service. It was a great time. People came together and prayed. Come to find out that the, um, the Fulton Street Prayer Revival in the 1800s was launched on September 23rd. Uh, through that prayer revival, uh, hundreds of thousands of people came to faith in Jesus all over the nation. Do some research on that. We, we didn't have a clear path for what we should do after that, but in October, God told me to, to host three uh, Unity prayer services. The first would be on November 11th, the second would be December 9th, and the third would be January 6th. I immediately told the Lord this was a bad idea. I'm in Southern West Virginia. Weather is a factor. Snow on the roads is dangerous. Um, we're, we're an hour away from the closest four lane highway. You have to take the two lane roads, curvy mountainous roads to, to get where we are at. Nevertheless, we did it. The first one was great. The second one, man, even with, with snow flying, people come from all over West Virginia. We met, the, the glory of the Lord was strong. A few days after that second one, December the 9th, uh, we had it on December 9th, but on, uh, excuse me, December the 12th, I was praying. And I was praying into this last and final unity prayer service we're gonna have on January the 6th. And the Lord clearly told me then to zoom out. He, he challenged my heart because I had been settling into rhythms of prayer, but had given up on this passionate prayer for revival to come to the Appalachia region. And so he began to challenge my heart and, and, and the words he told me was zoom out, to zoom out. And he then asked me to host and facilitate 144 hours of continuous prayer, six days and nights for the Appalachia region. In 12 states he gave us then to pray for, from Mississippi, Alabama, all the way up to New York. He told us to pray for these 12 states. And we put that into motion, okay? I just wanna talk a little bit about that, then I wanna come back to this moment in December. We put that into motion. Um, January 1st through 6th, we had 144 hours of continuous prayer. Let me tell you, it, it did ebb and flow, but there was someone in our prayer center praying day and night for these 12 states for 144 hours. We ended that with this, this prayer service on January the 6th. And I'm, and I'm telling you, and, and that week it was frigidly cold, single digits below zero at times. But on January the 6th, man, you could just feel the glory of the Lord in the room. You could feel God's presence all over this gathering. And we had people from 32 um, states, uh, not states, 32 churches, 14 counties, uh, four states show up. And listen, we, we prayed, decreed over these states for, um, for three and a half hours. Many people had to leave. The weather was getting bad. Uh, but then about 50 or so stayed. The Holy Spirit just touched us in a mighty way. People had life-changing encounters. I say that to say this, that there was a significance on that January the 6th gathering. And we didn't know what it was. But within just a few days, a few, just a few, really just a few weeks, the Lord began building a network, a relational network. We don't have some kind of formal organization, but a relational network of prayer all over the Appalachia region. He sent us to Birmingham. 
uh, just put us in a car, sent us to Birmingham, to and and he that that trip alone could be a 30-minute or an hour call. But we met great people of prayer. We were in North Carolina, Kentucky. Uh, we we be, just began to cult, cultivate relationships with people of prayer all over this region. And then uh, in 2018, uh, we began uh, we got involved and began organizing our state around. Uh, three days of three days and nights of prayer uh, on our state capitol grounds as, as part of Awaken the Dawn, Tenth America, and when we that happened, we we organized uh, county prayer, 55 counties leading up to that September 29th gathering at the capitol. Uh, that weekend, we had day and night prayer in our capitol grounds, uh, starting on Thursday in torrential rain. It was muddy the whole weekend. It was a little mini Woodstock. I mean, we worshiped and prayed in, in the mud up to our ankles there uh, on the capitol grounds. But then that ended with a time of prayer in our, on our state capitol steps where representatives from all 55 counties, and a few of them, they, they, they couldn't send a representative, but we had proxy stand in for four hours for prayed and decreed over West Virginia. From that, the West Virginia Prayer Alliance was formed as we organized the state into 10 prayer regions to begin to intercede and ask God to, to protect our state and to send revival. And we began asking the question, what would it look like for revival to come to a whole state? Well, we don't know, but we, we would think that it would come by revival hitting every region of our state. And that's what we're contending for, praying for. After that 55 strong in prayer, um, uh, uh, three days of prayer night in the Capitol grounds, that 55 strong of prayer rally we had on the Capitol grounds. There was an urgency with us this week, and I partnered with uh, uh, Cody and Sarah Fraser to help launch the West Virginia Prayer Alliance, and we were talking about doing some things, but the Lord spoke clearly in a phone conversation we were having to say, you have to prepare for 2020. And, you know, we were thinking about maybe having a regional prayer gathering in each of the West Virginia prayer regions over the next six months. But we actually did it in six weeks. We had nine prayer gatherings in six weeks. And later on, we developed into 10 prayer regions. But we met people of prayer. And we began to, to connect people of prayer all over West Virginia and with this prayer network. Um, what, what I'm talking about here is that from this place of prayer, God began to build a network of prayer that encompassed West Virginia, all the way down south. Um, all through last year, 2019, he just began to build it all over the state of West Virginia. And then we began to build relationships with people north of us. Uh, in November of 2019, met some folks in New York. And so parts of this prayer network is being established. Again, it's a, it's a network of relationships and friends and people who know people who are praying. And God is building something all over the Appalachia region. I want to tell you what he told me, though, when he began to tell me that, to pray for the Appalachia region. He said, the wind of the Holy Spirit, this is in, in, in um, uh, summer of 2017, before I knew any of this network was going to happen, he said, the wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing over the Appalachia regions. And the river of revival is rising and help people get ready for it. And so that's what we've been doing. Now, uh, for sake of time, I could tell you hundreds of stories along the way, but I just want to give you the general timeline that we've been living. I, I, I talked to you about this, this moment in December when he told us to begin to 
of, of uh, 17 when he told us to begin to pray for the 12 states specifically, begin to pray for harvest to come to them. Right before he sent us on trips to build the network, on that day, December the 12th, 2017, he told me to zoom out. The next morning, an intercessor sent me a message and said, the Lord told me to tell you to get an aerial view. And I said, I know exactly what you're saying. A couple of hours later, um, someone sent me a message from an intercessor in Kentucky who I've recently met, talked to, a precious woman from God. Uh, I won't give all the details of that vision that she had, but she saw the eagles in the state of West Virginia rising up and throwing all the debris off of them. And they had the deed of the land in their mouth. This was in 17 that the Lord showed this. He then put us on a path to build a relational network of prayer over the region. And it's still building out. Now, I want to take you to the time we're currently in. Now, there's been a lot of prophetic words around this time of, of quarantine. If you listen to this message later and you've forgotten what the world is going through in the spring of 2020, we're in a most of the world is in a state of quarantine with this, this uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, that's affecting 100, over 180 nations of the world. People are uncertain. Economies are uncertain. A disease is uncertain. People are getting sick and dying. There's, there's just a lot going on in our world. And we feel like that right now, this is a preparation time for a great move of God to follow. Now, some of us have felt this and talked about this before the coronavirus quarantine. And so we are sensing God at work through this. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, from the time of this recording, it was just a week or so before Good Friday 2020, um, God gave a prophetic word to a couple people. They shared it with me. We put it together and we just said, what if we could assemble people on a Good Friday prayer call and where we would take communion, a Zoom video call where we take communion. And we said, well, we could probably get all 55 counties of West Virginia involved and begin calling people on new and other states. And they began calling people. Well, the end of the story is I didn't even realize all this when we were on the Zoom call, but we had hundreds of Appalachia counties represented from Mississippi to Alabama, all the way to New York, uh, all of these Appalachian states. The first time we've had any kind of an event where all of the Appalachian states are together uh, because, see, God has been building this network. I mean, we keep having unity events. We begin, uh, we, we, have, we host a summit at our church two years. We're planning the third one in July this year where people from all over the region, prayer leaders are coming. The Lord moves in powerful ways, but we can sense that he's building something for a reason. After this Good Friday call, it took me a day or so to, to process it. I went back to that vision that was shared with me during the time that God was setting us up to build the network. We didn't even know about the network before, but that vision said that God has given his people the deed to the land. I firmly believe that Good Friday 2020, God released the deed of the land to many, many people. And now there's going to be a season of occupying that we can't get ahead of the Lord. We can't go boasting. We can't go bragging. We can't start saying what we think it means. We must end this season as I'm wrapping this up. 
in this season, we must listen more than we talk. God is telling me right now to tell all of us, listen more than we speak. Not everything he's telling you is to be shared with the world. Some things is. Some things you must ponder in your heart, even as Mary pondered it. Uh, This is a time of alignment. The Lord is saying to align yourself with apostolic leaders across the region who have a fresh word that goes beyond building a local church. I believe in the local church, but this season of revival is bigger than one local church. Revival is not a shortcut to build your church attendance. Pastor, I love you. I was mistaken about that at one time in my life too, but we want to see the Holy Spirit hover and I can feel him moving even right now. I wasn't expecting this, but the Lord is telling me he desires to hover over your community. He desires to do a saturating work all over Appalachia and it's not going to end there but it truly is going to be something that is going to be like a lightning bolt through the heart of this nation it's going to awake a nation to 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 revival and to to a Jesus once again and when this nation awakens it can truly bring the greatest awakening that the world has ever seen and I'm not the first to prophesy this but I feel and I'm not a prophet by, by calling but the Lord speaks to me I just want to clarify that Uh, But I feel the Lord's hand of awakening and alignment right now. And the Lord is telling me to tell you to be very careful with whom you align yourself right now. You must align yourself with, with people of passionate prayer. That prayer is not a platform for them, but prayer is a secret place for them. Uh, But then many of those prayer leaders, though, he is now calling to the forefront in this season as we're calling the whole church into the secret place. But be careful about people of self-promotion. Align yourself with people of prayer. Align yourself with people that have a regional a view of what God is doing. We're not the only ones doing that, but I can tell you that that God is moving through the Appalachia Prayer Center Ministries, the Appalachia uh, Harvest Prayer Network. We're not to align with everyone, and we're not the only one that you should align with, but some of you should align with us. God is using many people. Uh, West Virginia Prayer Alliance, there is an alignment happen. So the Lord is telling me right now to be very careful about who you um, align yourself with, align yourself with people of, of prayer, align yourself with people that are kingdom-minded and desire the Lord to saturate your community, not just build one church, but to sweep through your whole community. And he will use the local churches. Don't get me wrong. Don't read too much into it. But some people, uh, the Lord is just saying, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church right now. Align yourself with the right people. Don't align yourself with people who reject and resist um, any kind of authority. You must align yourself with the right spiritual authority, but some people are used as an opportunity to throw off all authority, and that's lawlessness. Don't align yourself with that. Align yourself with true apostolic authority in regions. Align yourself with people of prayer, and the Lord says that we will see awakening. That's our story. If it connects with you, we'd love to know more about you. Even if you just want to know more about us and just want to say, uh, Pastor Jay, we're praying with you about God's on the Appalachian region. Shoot us a message. Let us know. I'm praying for you right now. I hope that you can identify with the storyline we're, we're, we're sharing. The summary is, I was a pastor minding my own business when a vision for revival seized me, which put me on a journey of prayer and has brought me into contact with a many, many people of prayer. And God is building a network, 
a network of prayer over the mountains. And when he gets this, and as, as this has been shared with me, I want to find out who it originated with. But they said that God is building a grid. And when he, the grid is built, he will turn the power on. What is this grid? It's an alignment between apostolic prophetic ministries who are hearing and executing what God is saying. And he wants to bring us together so that he can release his power through this region like we have never, ever seen. Father, help us align our hearts to what you're saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. If this blessed you and you know it can bless someone else, why don't you share it with them?